back indeed, episode number 49, we almost up to 5-0 baby, Razzball Fantasy Basketball Podcast Sun Edition, uh, we are going to be doing a weekly pod, so I'm going to be joined by Joel every week, um, humbled and honored and blessed for his uh, insight and companionship on this journey, uh, what's going on Joel? I'm doing good man, how about yourself, how'd you enjoy your first week of basketball? Uh, it was great, man. It was exhilarating. Watched a lot, uh, read a lot. You know, it's uh, obviously can't watch every single game, but the league pass, the ten-minute condensed games have been great. Uh, so yeah, man, it's uh, you know this is actually the first year for me where I've like really been all in. You know, because usually football has always been like number one, right? Mm-hmm. And then you know baseball's done, but you know football's always been number one. But you know this year, like I don't know what it was. I don't you know. I just I just went all in on basketball basically, uh, so just yeah I don't know maybe it's listening to too much mama mentality where it's like you just have to go fully you know dive fully into it it's just one hundred percent but you know it feels really good and it's good to have hoops back so uh, how about for you? Man, it's been nice. I um, I alluded to it in that piece that I published earlier this week. Like, there's only so much that you can do with like preseason or even like out of season roster movements of like, well, this will fit this way or whatever. Now, now we've got games, we've got actual data points that we can look at. We've got things that we can start to see. Um, my, it's been kind of a rocky first week for a lot of my fantasy teams. And so I'm trying to like get my head around how quickly we need to be moving or, you know, what is the degree of patience that should be had with some of this? And, you know, remembering that just because the jazz, won their first three games. It does not mean that they're uh, a lock for the Western Conference. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's it's been good. I've, I've really enjoyed getting back to hoops. Uh, you know, I'm rushing my two-for-ones in the last 30 seconds of a game that we're up. Uh, <laughs> Russ, oh, that was terrible. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm glad that you're all in on League Pass because it means that you don't have to watch just the Lakers anymore because that, that has not been a lot of fun. Well, you know, like I've I've always had this rant and complain about it, all, you know, all the time, and you know, with the proliferation of league or team specific uh, broadcast deals, you know, the fact that when the Lakers at home, I can't freaking watch them is, you know, it's just terrible. It's just yeah. terrible. Um, but you know, to your point about it's early, right? Teams have only played three or four games uh, on this pod. Like I do want to, uh, in the very beginning, kind of just highlight. You know, team stats, player stats that kind of stood out to me. You know, I'm I'm a real big you know pace guy. You know, defensive, offensive efficiency, things like that. Uh, but I just felt like it wasn't worth it for this one, just because the sample size is too small. And you know, you're saying Utah is three and one. They could have been four four and zero. Philly was zero three, and people were like, you know, they're gonna tank for one banana, and like they're just yeah. talking some ridiculous stuff. I'm like, yo, people, it's been three games. You know, like calm down. There's 79 more games left to go. You know, like they'll be fine. Right, like, 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 don't even trip about it. So, um, yeah, I don't, you know, just overreaction, underreaction. I don't think we should uh, put too much credence in that uh, from a player or team performance, you know, aspect. I think what we can focus on now, though, is like player roles and playing time. Um, like, there's been some things, you know, diving through the box scores every night. Uh, there have been some, you know, some things that have, you know, stood out and they've kind of, uh, you know, I've. I've been able to mine some stuff, um, whether they remain in that fashion or not remains to be seen. But, uh, those are the things I think you should be looking at early in the season. Um, 
before we continue though i need to uh take care of business here because you know we big time now right we got we got sponsorships so i want to give a shout out to thrive fantasy uh for you know sponsoring the pod you know go to prop up at thrive fantasy this season thrive fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props with thrive you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top tier athletes that have the biggest impact in the game you know anything that cuts down on research I, i'm i'm good for that choose 10 out of 20 available player props to build your lineup each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit you hit the most props rack up the most points win a share of the prize pool thrive has over 100,000 guaranteed in prizes for the opening nights of the nba season Use promo code RASBALL when you sign up today. You will receive a 100% instant first deposit match up to $100. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting the website www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. All right, let's get into it. Um, the first thing is kind of uh, I just kind of interjected into the into the notes was having a conversation with somebody yesterday, uh, coworker actually, he was adamant that, you know, the game now is broken. And, you know, he's like basically a, him and many other people that, you know, they just feel like the game in the nineties was better and that the game now is broken because the proliferation of the three point shot. And then he said that the players were better back then. And I, you know, I was, <laughs> I, I, uh, I pushed back big time, but it, you know, it does seem to be a pretty common perspective. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Do I, do I think the game was better then? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I mean, I, I think that the idea that the players were better in the nineties or the eighties or whatever sort of time frame this person is referencing I think that's just like sort of abjectly false. Um, what people are doing on a basketball court now is is so much more skilled. Um, the the things that you're being asked to do um, are way bigger than what you used to be asked to do. I mean, like the fact that you're going to have to guard someone like Curry or Lillard or an increasingly more and more people from 35 feet out just puts so much stress on the defense and not just on the person that's trying to guard Steph, but the people that are trying to guard behind him. Like, you know, the, the proliferation of the three point shot and everyone being weaponized from further and further away from the basket. I mean, that's that it's a different game. I'll, I'll grant them that. And, and maybe yeah. the, the idea of seeing so many three point shots, um, has sort of has spread out enough that the, the game kind of looks the same. But I think the idea that, that the game was better or that the players were better is just sort of abjectly false. Like people are doing the amount of skill that it takes to, to do any one position in this game has gotten higher and higher uh, pretty much every year. I mean, the, a, a player like Giannis has no sort of parallel. Yeah. Um, unless you're talking about like Magic Johnson and like, Magic Johnson revolutionized basketball when he was doing that. And, and now you've got a guy like Victor Wembanyama. I'm just like, well, what do you do? What do you do about a, or a seven-footer that can shoot, that can handle, that is a weapon 30 feet from the basket? I mean, it's, of course the game is different, but I, I mean, the idea that these guys were, were better 
20 years ago, because not, not seen people to uh, maybe threes are too. Maybe too many threes is is worth taking a look at. But um, you know, I, I wouldn't. Argue, I wouldn't argue the game is perfect now. But um, no, that sounds like old man yelling at cloud to me. Yeah, yeah, and you know the funny thing is, is you know he's just like the the guy was telling me like you know you obviously didn't watch. But I'm like yo, <laughs> I've been watching since the '80s, man. Come on, man. You know, like um, I mean, yeah, like okay, so. There were some great teams. There were some great players, right? You know, for sure. But you know, the hand checking, clothes lining, like the WWE, you know, like the, the the Riley Heat, and you know, like it was just so it was brutal, man. It was brutal to watch, you know. So, you know, the game is not perfect now, but it's more open, more free flowing. Um, the three point shot definitely spaces out the game. Kind of alluding to your point, you know, like now that's. Uh, not as many, not as many specialists now, because they just get played off the court, you know. And yeah. so, the type of athletes that are playing are just so much more better. Um, the funny one of the arguments though was like, you know, you had Hall of Famers and Barkley and Jordan, like, yo, like the players now, they're gonna be the Hall of Famers in ten years, right? So we're gonna be like, oh, you know, like Giannis, right? Durant, like, you know. So it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's just crazy, like you said, old man yelling stuff. So. Um, I'm glad we're on the same, you know, same page there because I probably would have to fire you and then uh, you know, thrive, thrive wouldn't have been happy. So no, I just, I just played. Uh, I'm all for, you know, different perspectives and things like that. Um, but you know, when people, you know, get so emotional and so attached to one thing, you know, while being close-minded, that that's when it, you know, gets to me. And like, I, I feel like some people like they try to be contrarian just to be contrarian. Right, like they want to be different just to be different, which you know, and you know, like this one particular person was like, you know, kind of like you know, you know, you're following the herd type of thing. I'm like, no, I, I don't care what people say. I don't care what the ratings say. This is my perspective. I'm watching the game. This is what I see. If it happens to align with the herd, then so be it, right? But I'm not gonna do something because the herd does something or because the herd is not doing something, like you know, so. Um, all right, so I, I don't know. I, I guess this was more of a rant for me, so I just wanted to uh, put that out there. But, you know, that's the beauty of, of our pod, right? We can just talk about whatever, so. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and, and I, I didn't realize that my responses were that there was, you know, a job hanging in the balance to your co-host, but. Uh... Oh, always, always. You gotta be, you gotta, you know, you know, this, you know, this is, the, we're big time now, Joel. We're big time. You gotta always be on point. No, I just play. Um, yeah, I mean, this is great. You know, it's just, we're just. You know, two dudes just just talking about hoops, and it's like it's awesome. I love it. Um, all right, Benedict Matherin, yeah, freaking balling out. You know, um, one of my dynasty leagues, I actually you know took Dyson Daniels over Benedict Matherin, which you know, it's it's not it's not egregious or anything, but you know, obviously Dyson Daniels hasn't played because he's been injured. Although I do think he might play today. We, we shall see with all the injuries. Um, but yeah, Benedict Matherin's been balling out. Ringers, Zach Cram, basically said the fifth NBA player since 1980 to score at least 72 points. 72 points in his first three games. Company of Isaiah Thomas, Dominic Wilkins, Michael Jordan, Jerry Stackhouse. That's pretty good company. Uh, the jumper's been there. I mean, he's just, man, he's like mini Zion kind of, you know, like the ferocity of how he attacks the rim. 
the explosiveness getting to the rim is like it's pretty impressive. He's been able to finish. So, what what are your thoughts on on Mather? Well, I thought that Phil did a really nice write up uh, calling him the nastiest rookie. I feel like that's he's got that one in the bag. Um, I mean, I think he's been really impressive from a from a fantasy standpoint. I feel like it's coming. It's coming back down to earth. It kind of happened a little bit last night against yeah. the Sixers. Um, I've got his game log pulled up. You know, mm-hmm. he's he shot over fifty percent, uh, or just fifty percent or better in three of these four games, including uh, three threes, three threes, five threes. Uh, so against the Sixers, he went one of seven, and you know the shooting percentage sort of comes back down. It also is the game that he played the least yeah. amount of minutes. Um, I mean, the rookies are volatile, you know, especially guards. Um, the shooting percentage is, is definitely going to be coming back down to earth. But, I mean, it looks like he really has it as far as the ability to put the ball in the hole. Uh, and, honestly, you know, you look at this this Pacers roster, I feel like it's the runway is there for a really explosive rookie season. I mean, um you know, Halliburton is playing in front of him. Heald is playing in front of him. He's pretty much moved Duarte uh, into the rear view. Yeah. And I don't think there's a whole lot of other guard play out there that's going to be in front of him. I think the minutes are going to be there um, and just the scoring punch that he provides. So this this could be a really nice first season for Matherin, even if the, the shooting percentage is sort of wax and wane a little bit. Um, he's nice. You think he... You think he uh, stays in the microwave, microwave role off the bench, or does he enter the starting rotation? You know, I really think it depends on what they end up doing with Heels. You know, I feel like Betty, Buddy Heald has been dangled in trade rumors pretty much since he got there, really since Sacramento, honestly. Um, I don't know if it really matters. I think right. you could make the argument that coming off the bench and just being the, the sort of second-team star works just as well. Um He's, he's going to get minutes. He's already played, uh, what, 20, 24 minutes last night against the Sixers was his lowest minutes played. Played 27, 28, and 30. I feel like 25 is the floor, and you know I don't see any reason why he couldn't get 30 minutes. There's just not enough. There's not enough going on in Indiana to push him off that spot. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, you know a lot of times I feel like. Um, Leading the second unit is more beneficial, especially for fantasy, because you'll get a higher usage rate. You'll go against teams, you know, second units, uh, things like that. Uh, when you're on the, you know, starters, there's, you're usually playing alongside high usage players, so uh, the shot attempts and just overall usage decreases. But with Indiana, I think the situation is a little unique because Halliburton is the guy, but he really he's not garnering a 30% usage rate. He's a low 20s, so they could kind of coexist together there where, you know, Matherin could do his thing while actually Halliburton makes it easier for him to do it. So, uh, it's yeah, it's an interesting situation. Um, as long as he gets the minutes, I think that's the most important thing, which brings me, look, I'm a professional, like this is professional potting right here, like, because the segue is just, you know, just chef's kiss, you know, but in terms of second unit usage versus starter, you know, which is a more palatable role for a player uh, going to Houston, Alperin Sengun. So, like, that team, you got 
Kevin Porter and Jalen Green, both those guys are high usage guys. And, you know, it's not just one of them. There's two of them, right? So, Sangoon's in there. You know, he obviously hasn't been starting. They have Bruno Fernando, Usman Garuba. They put Jabari Smith at center the most recent game. And, you know, there were rumblings, actually, right before the season started where they're saying, like, Sangoon doesn't really fit with those two players because he's not, a, like, a pick-and-roll type of big or roller. He's more give it to him in the blocks and let him do his thing, which I kind of get. Uh, so, ha- you know, they've been having him on the second unit. With him, though, it's been great, but the minutes have – he hasn't played 30 minutes in a game yet, right? So that's yeah. a big thing. So uh, give me your thoughts on that situation. I, I mean, I think you nailed it. That's the thing that really worries me. I've got – so I'm I, at the top of the spot, I said, like, a lot of these fantasy teams are not going well. Uh, I've got a lot of Sangoon, and I – when I saw those reports or when – Garubo was starting. I thought, like, well, that's that's kind of curious. Maybe it's it's something that Silas is playing around with. Um, and then once uh, once I started seeing how this that he was being deployed, that's the real concern. And the real difference between Sangoon and Matherin is, you know, I think Matherin could get 30 minutes, 28 minutes, 27 minutes off the bench in Indiana because there uh, there just isn't enough. You know, sort of depth on the wing or in the guard position to stop him, but Sangoon's played 22 minutes twice, 27 minutes in the third game. Um, it's just going to be harder for him to, to sort of get the stats that we're looking for in that limited that limited role. And he's not really the sort of explosive scorer, um, picking up a bunch of free throws like like Matherin is that he can he can sort of microwave it that same kind of way. You know. Yeah. yeah, some of the appeal of Sangoon too was being able to play make, um, you know, not playing with uh, the starters or you know the most talented offensive players um, in Houston could impact the assist numbers a little bit, um, and then getting those those peripheral stats, your blocks and steals, you're not getting as much time. You're just not going to have as many opportunities uh, to pick up those those sort of outside helpers um, that really help play. Like, that that fantasy value. So I don't. I wrote about Sangoon in the in the Monday piece. Um, it seems like that's really what they're going to do. Is that he's going to be a, a second unit player, and I think that it's going to be really hard to get your top fifty, top sixty value out of them if you're really looking at like a, a twenty six minute a night roll. Yeah, I think it's almost impossible. Um, it's just too bad because. You know, that environment is so juicy. Um, you know, Houston, they don't play D. Well, actually, the D's been a little bit better, but uh, they play fast. I'm looking at their pace numbers right now. I mean, granted, it's been early, but let me see how fast they're playing. So, yeah, they're a little bit down. They're Actually, they're 19th in pace, which is interesting because they were second last year. I have a feeling that's going to go up. Uh, you know, it's early, but... Um, yeah, it's just too bad. Yeah, if you're not getting the minutes, it's going to be very hard to pay off his his price. You know, I think you know, I think he could be a top 100 player, um, but top 50 is probably out of the question. Keegan Which Murray, drafting, yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah, that was sort of the the appeal there was that this was going to be the breakout for him. Um, I assume that you have no real interest in Usman Garuba or um, who's the other guy that's starting? In, Bruno Bruno Fernando. Bruno yes, so I, I actually I actually picked up Bruno in my main event team. Um, it just sucks. I didn't realize. I mean, I knew he was injured, 
I just kind of took a chance like you know I didn't you know maybe he'd be out a game or two maybe a game but it ended up coming up after that he's gonna be out for a while so that kind of sucks if he wasn't injured I was actually very intrigued by him right because he's gonna give you rebounds his assist numbers have been good you know uh, he's playing he fits better with you know Porter and uh, Green and the blocks I needed blocks right so yeah. you know I mean I don't I don't think you can pick up uh, Garuba because he didn't even start last game right so they went yeah, with, they went with Jabari Smith yeah they went with Jabari Smith so um, yeah so it's too bad um, I don't know I, I well I wanted to save this guy for the last but I guess we might as well talk about him now because I picked up both Garuba and Bobo because I need a block for my main event team. Like we went over this, right? Like, and it kind of worked out. And I play. I actually played him, so I'm kind of happy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I mean, we might as well talk about him. You know, like, and this is one of the things about early on. You know, shouldn't focus on player production, but should focus on role and playing time. And you know, he wasn't playing an exorbitant amount of minutes. It was like 20 minutes or, or fewer in all of them, but. I mean, he was playing, you know, and like I, I thought it was a joke in the preseason. I just thought they were just playing around and messing around with these big lineups. But so far early in the season, like they're committed to him. Like he's actually playing real minutes. And, uh, you know, obviously the last game was kind of an outlier, right? Like 19 points and, you know, however many blocks that he had. You know, that's not going to be four. there every, you know, yeah, four blocks. He, that's not going to be there every game. But he has that ability right uh he can shoot the three uh yeah i mean he's euro stepping guys in the lane you know like it's pretty crazy but you know minutes and minutes and opportunity and he he has a role right so you know granted he had some horrendous turnovers but as long as he has the trust of the coaching staff and he plays around 20 minutes a game um you know like i just need him for blocks i think he's going to give you blocks right and then anything else after that is gravy so uh Give me your thoughts on the bowl bowl. I feel like that's a shot. I mean, this is the time of year where you really should be. I feel like taking shots on, on guys that are coming off the bench are, are sort of surprising. Um, I really like bowl because of what you were saying about his threes. There's a, there's a bit more, there's a bit more to the game, than just a straight block screen. Obviously that is the most attractive component of this, but you do have threes. Um, and you, the free throw percentage is, you know, it's, it's okay so far. Um, but you know, I think that the, the spot is really compelling too, because, you know, we've seen, we've seen Orlando's willingness to play big a lot. You know, they did it last year with Carter and Bamba. Um, and now they're, they're, they're mixing in bowl as well. I, I feel like, I mean, it helps too that the, the backcourt has just been so brutal yeah. uh, injuries that they're, they're just sort of looking for bodies. Um, but they definitely seem like there's a willingness to sort of play these jumbo lineups. Um, you know, Bowl can stretch the floor. He can, he can protect the rim. Um, I mean, I feel like you already made the ad. I actually I made a, a pickup in my RCL with Bowl Bowl before we started with this. I feel like I would he was available, I would add him just sort of see what happens. Um, it's not like the guys, I mean, I think, you know, Wendell Carter's had a nice start to the season. I think he's the starter there, but 
Mo Bamba as like the only other player that's really in his way. Um, Bamba's toast. He's playing like yeah. 15 minutes a game, you know. <laughs> it's like, and I mean, he. I mean, I saw guys drafting him in you know the top 100. You know, I was just wow. You know, um, you know, obviously I didn't expect Bobo to be in there, but I just didn't think with Paolo and Wendell Carter getting most of the power forward center minutes. I mean, minutes were going to be tight uh, as it is, but. I was thinking, you know, maybe 20 minutes, you know, so I thought he would have a role. I just didn't think it would be as much as people were expecting coming into the season. But now that Bobo's in the rotation, I mean, he's taking minutes from him. So, yeah, that's that's tough. I can't, I wouldn't, I mean, I, I don't think you can hold on to him, to be honest, you know. No, and, you know, that was never, uh, Bamba was never a guy that I was drafting. Um, but, you know, like, credit to the Magic because they're doing the thing that we want the Jazz to be doing and these other teams that are not, that we have sort of pegged as being non-competitive. It's just like, well, go play the guys and see what you've got, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, there's no there's no real uh, rush to uh, to be competitive if you're in the Magic. You know, you just had, you just added, uh, added Bancaro, who looks great. Uh, Franz is coming along, like, you, you should be able to, to take a look at some of these younger guys and roll the dice a little bit because you're just not going to be competitive. And if you're not competitive, then you get Vic. And then what do you do with Bowl and Vic and Carter? I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a down-the-road kind of problem. But, um, I mean, I'm, it's really encouraging to see that, you know, this is now – this is Bowl Bowl's fourth year, but he's still only 23 years old. Like, right. there's there's – and he hasn't ever really had an opportunity where he's getting more than like 15 minutes a game. So uh, that's the thing. He was stuck in Denver. Yeah, he was stuck on a good team, so they never really were giving him a shot. But this seems like a pretty ideal opportunity for him. Absolutely, I would add if he's available and just see what you got. If anything, you know, I've, we talked a lot about box going forward. There, it's such a rare commodity, and he's so good at it. Uh, yeah. I guess as of the the transferable skill, like maybe he's a block stream sort of exclusively and anything else that you get out of him is gravy. Definitely. So I'm just thinking, man, if the magic say they get Vic, Wembenyana, and then they get Isaac back, you got <laughs> Wembenyana, Jonathan Isaac, Franz, Panchero, Sebobo. I'm kind of disembamba, but whatever. But that lineup like, cause okay, so I've seen them play some three-two zone, and like with Banchero up at the top, like the length is just insane. And if you have that five lineup, I mean, it can kind of work because Franz can play the point. He was playing point uh, in the beginning of this year, so like you know he could bring it up. And like, what are other teams gonna do? Like they're gonna have matchups everywhere. You know, Franz can post up any point guard basically. You know. Banchero, man, he looks freaking good. I mean, you know, not only can he post and punish guys down low, but, I mean, he's running pick and roll action up at the top and just breaking guys off the dribble. And when he gets in the lane, he's so strong. He's just finishing. um, Very impressive. Very impressive. He's got some defensive stats, too. Yeah, he's legit the the magic of doing, like, Toronto South, you know, just like, what if he's all arms and legs all the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, what is it, what is it doing? I know you've got Cole Anthony in this, uh, this 30 yeah. team salary cap, but what yeah. is your, 
what's your read on this backcourt situation going on down here? Um, well, I think when Fultz comes back, I think he'll be the guy. And then that'll slide everyone back down to normal. So Franz would go, you know, Franz probably won't play as much point. Uh, he may from time to time. But, yeah, I think um, Terrence Ross is gone. So it'll be interesting what they do at shooting guard, I guess. Um, I, I do think that for, I don't think you can play uh, Fultz and Cole Anthony at the same time. So I think Cole Anthony would move to more of like a microwave role off the bench. Uh, but yeah, then you'd have Wendell Carter at center, Banchero at the four, Franz at the three. So then it comes down to what they do at the two. Yeah. Um, not, not really sure. I guess you could keep Ross in there. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I do think Fultz is the guy when he's healthy. Um, I, I, I I think he fit pretty well with them actually because um, his ability to kind of break down defenses and he'll be able to set up guys. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. You know, because yeah. his outside shot's a little suspect. So I don't know. So what do you think? That mix too. Yeah. So cool. I yeah, he's off my out of my consciousness because he's injured right now. So yeah, yeah, if once when Suggs is healthy, then yeah, he's a two for sure. Yeah. Well, so uh, I'm. Yeah, it's uh, sort of a uh, blocks specialist. I um, found that I have added Walker Kessler uh, in a lot of leagues for that very same reason. Uh, would you rather Walker Kessler or Bull Bull? That's a tough one. Um, I'm probably going Bull Bull here just because I think the minutes are going to be similar. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of the blocking prowess, I think they'll be they'll be similar too. Um, I am a little more intrigued with Bobo just because I think he's a little longer. Um, but then you have the three point prowess, right? Yeah. So I think that's the difference maker. I, yeah, that's the difference maker. Um, yeah, uh, but I think yeah, both are good. I think long term though, like if you're thinking long term, I think Kessler is the guy. Because eventually, I think he's, his minutes are going to get, you know, ramped up. Uh, and then there's a chance that Linux gets traded. So, whereas Bobo, I don't think he ever has that chance of becoming a 28-minute, you know, per game uh, player. He's probably, his cap, he's going to be capped at probably 20 minutes. So, uh, whereas Kessler, I mean, he could get 28, 30 minutes at some point later in the season. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I... Um... I don't know, Kett, so I've made this ad on Kessler a lot. I feel like that could be a tough hold. Um, not not only because, you know, Olenek is there and playing well, but also because Markkanen has been so good. Um, and so, you know, between Olenek, Markkanen, and Vanderbilt, it's, it's pretty crowded there. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't... You know, I my hope was with Kessler. You know, I punted blocks on a lot of these teams, and the idea was I'd take Kessler at the end of the draft, or I'd pick him up in free agency, and if he can block like two plus shots, that hard punt of blocks turns into a softer punt. Um, but I worry about the minutes. I also I worry about the scoring for Kessler too. So he just doesn't get a lot of touches offensively. Right. What's going on right. in Utah? Yeah, yeah, no, those are those are good points. Um, 
but yeah, you know, blocks are blocks, right? So, you know, I do think that he's going to start racking them up at some point uh, because, I mean, from the little that I've seen so far, you know, he doesn't look overwhelmed. You know, he looks pretty good out there. And then, you know, he's been getting talked up pretty well, you know, in terms of, like, his maturity and his uh, his IQ. So I think those are huge things in terms of playing time and garnering the trust of not only your teammates but of the coaching staff. Uh, you know, if you're hearing those 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 things, then that's usually good. Because I, I know in the past, you know, I, would, I used to hear, you know, regarding certain guys, like, you know, they're super athletic or they should get more, more time. But, you know, the coach doesn't trust them or they're not in the right spot. They're not making the right reads and things like that. And, you know, that, that was one of the things of, for Precious with me, right? When Nick Nurse was like, you know, something clicked, right? Like now he gets it. And, you know, so um, so those are good things in, in, in regards to Kessler, which has me kind of, you know, bullish, you know, but you make good points though. Like there are, it, it is crowded there. So the minutes may be tough, but I do think at some point uh, we'll get some clarity on that situation and, and kind of the playing time minutes will, will open up at some point, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. I pulled I up Kessler's game logs, um, and you know he had the double doubled in the first game, that win against Denver, which was just like so bizarre and really yeah. great fun. I really enjoyed that. Salt <laughs> um, Lake City was rocking, but he he's shot. He went five for five in game one, two for three in game two, three for six in game three, four for one in game four. Like. You just gotta score. You gotta score more than uh, than six or seven points, or in this last game, zero points. Um, you know, blocks are a rare commodity, but I feel like the trade-off is a little steep. I might. I don't know how long Kessler's gonna be living on these rosters of mine. Yeah, no, I hear you, and you know, I think we've talked about this in the past before, and um, this was the decision I made for my main event team, right? Um, I knew I was weak in, in defensive stats, so. Uh, I was hoping that I could fat my way into into some blocks and steals, and then knowing that those guys that you're gonna get are gonna be you're gonna be hurting for points. So uh, just try to get as many points as you can. You know, or I tried to get as many points as I could early on to kind of buttress that. So uh, that's definitely one thing I was more cognizant going over into this this whole season, this whole draft season. Because in the past, um, I try to be balanced, and then so like. You know, if I get like, you know, the Herb Jones guy, you know, or the Mikhail Bridges, although Mikhail Bridges is kind of up to scoring, but like those type of guys, like I would always get those guys and then I fall behind in points and then I'm like dead when I try to, you know, fab together those things because you're right, I'm just so far behind and I always fall behind points. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out, but I think so far it looks, you know, it looks okay, but. To Kessler's credit, he's presently tied for fourth in all of basketball with seven cool. blocks. So seven he's, blocks. Yeah, that's good. He's yeah, working. so he's doing what you want. Uh, right? Our man Bo Bo has got 11 and leads yeah. the entire association. So. That's crazy, man. It's, I mean, just watching him, he's just like, it's just so like, like, I do remember when, you know, his father was in the league and he's just a, like, freak. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's a. Uh, Oh man, it's just it's just so crazy. Like they just put their arms up and it's just like, ah, get away from here. <laughs> I guess um, now that I'm looking at this uh, this stat page here, uh, yeah. the other the other name that jumps out at me 
uh, Jabari Smith has had a really nice start to his season. Yeah. Um, and Nick Claxton is uh, yeah. is the guy in Brooklyn. Like I for sure. He looks there good. Was, that was a guy who had breakout potential, um, and it looks like it's starting to come together a little bit for him. I don't really. I mean, that Brooklyn team is a mess defensively, and Ben Simmons looks terrible. I don't really know how you play Claxton and Simmons at the same time, but if I drafted, I wish I drafted Nick Claxton because he's he's playing a lot of minutes. Yeah. Um, the defensive stats are there, the rebounding is there. Um, that looks like a good buy early here. Yeah, definitely. I'm with you. Um, I, I don't have too many. I, I think I have a few shares, but yeah, definitely not as many as I want. Uh, he looks very good. You know, it's uh, it's gonna be fun. This will be fun. I, I mean, I, game, nine rebounds, two and a two point seven blocks. I mean, we've only played three games, I know, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and thirty minutes a game. Uh, and there's just no one I mean Dayron Sharp actually has looked nice. I as a man who's who's holding Dayron Sharp in this Raz Jam uh, <laughs> and seeing the uh, the the JaVale McGee experiment just sort of crumble, like I'm <laughs> keeping an eye on what's going on in Brooklyn, but, uh, but Claxton's had a, a really nice start. I would be trying to get him if he's available anywhere. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. I mean, he was going, people were drafting him pretty, pretty high in most drafts, I think. So I don't know if he'll be available, but yeah, agreed. If he's there, uh, definitely scoop him up. Um, you know, Brooklyn, they're playing at the slowest pace right now. And they're such a mess, man. I, yeah. I That's mean, gonna pick up. Simmons looks Simmons looks like a man who hasn't played basketball in a year and a half. You know, yeah. it's just uh, and the rest of that roster is is old and hurt. Uh, I mean, I know that Joe Harris came back, but Curry still hasn't come back. Like, it wasn't a deep team anyways, and now you've yeah. got sort of uh, you're playing five on four when Simmons is out there. It's just it's not. Good. You you think it crumbles? Well, maybe you know. I, I certainly, you know, coming into the season, I was not, I was not sold on this being figured out. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, it's so far Kyrie Irving has been available and pretty good. Um, yeah. But you know, with Kyrie, that can change on a dime. Um, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know what they're gonna do. I don't know what they're going to do about Simmons, and they have a they have a lot tied to him as sort of that third star that's going to make this go. Um, it seems kind of inexplicable to me that they would start moving off some of these star players, but I also just like I don't know what else they have that is attractive to other teams that they can move. You know, I mean, I guess a guy like like Curry theoretically would be attractive to other teams, but they need they need Curry and Harris uh, to give that spacing. Um, Let's get Super Russ. Bowl. Let's get Russ and Simmons on the same team. Let's go. I don't think you drafted. I didn't draft Russell Westbrook anywhere. I don't think no. you did either. If no. you did, have you? Are you dropping him by now? Yeah, I don't know about dropping him. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you if you drafted him, I mean, you kind of have to to stick with him. I think, right? Because I mean, he's still providing some stuff, right? And then, you know, if he does get... See, I, this is tough, right? Like, if he gets traded to a situation, I mean, he, he could go to a team and then they just don't play him and they just buy him out or what, whatever. Or, 
or he goes to a team and then they just whatever a tanking team and then he just goes nuts and you know i mean conceivably you know start jump, dropping triple doubles again right <laughs> so i don't know it's just you know there's just the range of outcomes is, is very wide um you know if you drafted him you obviously believe in something so i don't i don't understand why you would be dumping him that's just right yeah i don't um i don't play in points leagues but i feel like that's the only way that i would be holding russ because in category leagues he hurts you in both percentages you know and i, I feel like you at least for me, like I would feel comfortable punting one or the other, but I definitely wouldn't feel comfortable punting both. Um, and I feel like that's the only so the points leagues where the percentages sort of come out in the wash um, would be the only way that I'm holding on to Russ. Because I mean, you're you're our man in Los Angeles, but I feel like the bottom is. I mean, you asked if the nut if the nets are are combustible. I feel like the bottom is about to fall out with Russ in in Lakerland. See, I kind of disagree, I, and I, I feel like the bottom is here, kind of, for both Russ and the Lakers in general, and so I'll, I'll expand on that. Um, he's scoring 10 points. He's shooting 28% from the field, right? 8%. 8% <laughs> from three-point land, right? So for as much like shit he gets and like I'll, I'm more than willing to dish it out right like he's not gonna I mean the role is probably gonna change like there's I don't think Ham is gonna keep him in the starting rotation or you know playing mm-hmm. alongside Adrian and right LeBron so actually that actually kind of helps him right if he leads the second this goes back to a conversation earlier in the pod right like if he's leading the second unit like he doesn't have to worry about anything. Like he's gonna, they just want him to go and do his thing, right? And he's not gonna shoot twenty eight percent all year. I mean, I mean, he's thirty four years old, so okay, so maybe father time is catching up to him. But I mean, he's a career forty three percent shooter from the field, right? And even from three point land is thirty percent, right? So to me, I view this at the bot as the bottom right now, mm-hmm. right? And like, I don't see. I mean, actually, the floor. The ultimate floor is he gets cut and doesn't ever play again. Like that's yeah. like the, the right that that's the nut low scenario, right? But in terms of I guess you know him still playing and, and doing like the percentages are going to increase. I mean you know he'll end up shooting forty percent. Like he's not going to shoot under sub thirty percent all year, right? And even right now he's grabbing six point seven boards, four point three assists, two steals, right? So. You know, he's still giving you something in that. And then if his role changes to where he's the guy on the second unit, like those things can tick back up to seven and seven possibly, right? And then, I mean, I, I feel very confident that, right, the percentages are going to increase. And then this ties into my Lakers thing is that as poor as their shooting is, and that's their Achilles heel, they're not shooting 22% from three-point all season. Like that's, you know, as much as we yeah. think that's going to happen, that's not going to be like, like there's guys on the, the team that can shoot. Are they great shooters? Are they like Joe Harris over 40% shooters? No, but somewhere in the low to mid thirties. Right. So, I mean, that, that number is going to go up. Right. And then they're going to start winning some games. Right. And, you know, they're, I mean, they're playing super fast. Right. But their defense has actually been really, really good. Right. Yeah. And, 
um, you know, they're, they were second in defensive efficiency before last game. So I think now they're at sixth, right? So, you know, you figure they have a new coach, Darvin Hans come in, the players love playing for him. They're showing the effort, right? So that's always a good sign from a team perspective, right? They haven't quit, you know, the, they know that, yeah, it's depressing that they're not hitting shots and things like that, but that's going to come around. And it goes back to kind of like what we were talking about before the pod started, right? About just things in life in general, right? You just got to keep grinding, right? Sometimes the results won't be there, but as long as you keep the effort and you keep doing it, you know, like, you know, like good things will come, right? So you, as long as they keep playing defense, they show in the effort, like the offense will come because Anthony, as long as Anthony Davis and LeBron James are healthy, those guys, these other guys are going to get good looks and they're going to start hitting some of them, right? They're not going to be like the, the Warriors, no, but they're not going to be 22% all year, right? So so both Lakers and Russ, actually, I, I do think in a way it's kind of the floor scenario for both, I think. Mm. So I don't know. That's just my perspective. Let me hear it. Let me, let me hear the, the, the counter. I, I mean, I think that you're right about the Lakers – Broadly, because the defensive stats that you were referencing, um, that seems real to me. Uh, and, you know, you know, Pat Beverly is not a bad shooter. Kendrick Nunn is not a bad shooter. Like, right. that three-point number will come up. Uh, that's, in, you know, it's it's still a really small sample size. And so the fact that the Lakers are endless, um, you know, that, that you're looking at a very small number of games and overreacting to it. My, I'm not convinced about Westbrook though. Okay. I mean, here's my thinking on that: is he's never been a good jump shooter throughout yeah. his career. I mean, there are all, you hear all these statistics about like you could make the case that that as a career jump shooter, that Russell Westbrook is one of the worst players that has ever done in professional basketball. Um, he's 34 years old. Yeah. He's not able to get to the rim as often or finish as efficiently when he's there. Um, so as he's aging, his game is getting pushed further and further out, um, which plays to his weaknesses rather than his strengths. Um, you know, again, couching this in, in a really small sample, um, you know, a big part of how Russ has been, has been effective is that he was taking a lot of free throws, um, and he's averaging 3.3 free throws attempted per game, um, which is the lowest number. I mean, the, the previous low before that was 5.1, and that happened last year. I mean, I, I just don't think that the the trend is playing into into his strengths. And you know, if, if what he's going to be able to, be, if the shots that he's going to be able to get are the ones that the defense is actively giving him, uh, I'm not confident that he's going to be able to convert those. That's uh, fair. Yeah, that's a fair I, point. I do think that being a true bench player, uh, that that could be a, a positive change in role. But this is one of those things where, like, I sort of have to divorce, divorce myself from playing fantasy basketball and just being a person that's, like, watching real basketball. Russell Westbrook does not strike me as a man who's interested at all. <laughs> right. Off the bench and, yeah. and sort of doing a late season or late career Carmelo Anthony kind of deal of, of being sort of uh, humbled by what his new sort of reality in the NBA is. Um, so when you say like this is the floor, I mean I think that the I think that it's a, a non-zero possibility that he gets moved to the bench and 
doesn't play at all. about it yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't really work. Yeah. And in that case, like if you if you can't be effective off the bench, then I don't know where what his future looks like in Los Angeles. And at this point, like he's got no leverage, and and the, or the Lakers have no leverage around the league of saying like, well, you should take Russell Westbrook. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't even the prospect of like shipping him out of town. Like you've got to pay someone to take him off your hands now. It's not he's not an asset. Agreed. Agreed. Um, you know, good points. <laughs> I, I really can't say much to it. You know, it's, uh, I, I tried to be the good little angel on, on the corner, but... Uh, or the Lakers fan of the two of us. Yeah. So, like, it does, at least we're playing our roles here. But, yeah, I, mean, I, would, I don't know. Like I said, I didn't draft Westbrook on any fantasy yeah. team of mine. I, I haven't touched him in years. I can't imagine holding out much hope. Um you know, I, I wrote this in the, the piece on Monday about, you know, just because the Lakers are are sort of broken right now, there's definitely possibilities for things to look different because, um, you know, you're going to have to start pulling different levers to get some different results. But I'm not confident that the Westbrook lever is one that uh, is going to yield any, any real great spoils here. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, there's one last thing I kind of wanted to talk about. I uh, just had to start taking a walk last night and just kind of going back. You know, I'll, I'm always trying to, I guess, improve, refine my process. And I think one thing that um, I've done, I think, a better, much better job or been more diligent about this year is just uh, keeping track of all the news or as much news as I can or just as much information. Um, and the thing that I realized last night was that like, even though it's like, like the NSA gathering all the, <laughs> all our telephone conversations and just dumping it into the server, but then you have to figure out how to filter it out. Right. And then not just filtering it out, figuring out like whatever, which, which is important, which is not important. But once you get to that step, then you actually have to act upon that information that you get. Right. And so, I was thinking like mainly about the Utah situation, right? And so all off season, all in the summer, it was like they're gonna tank for one banana, right? They traded away Mitchell, right? They traded away Gobert. And so everything from that point on was like, all right, they're tanking for one banana. And so in terms of all my projections and projecting all the players and whatever minutes, allocation, it was solely from that perspective or that narrative. And then I became, you know, I realized that I had blinders on, right? Because um, I didn't really fully appreciate when new information came to light or when my assumptions were not validated. I kind of overlooked it, right? So all my assumptions past the Mitchell and the Gobert trades was like, they're going to take for Wimbanyana. So that means that they're going to trade Conley. They're going to trade Croxford. So that means Colin Sexton and Laurie Markin will get usage. So I had all these assumptions made up and I tied into that and I acted upon that. But yet I, I failed to realize, hey, these fuckers are still on the team, right? Conley's still playing. He's playing a shit ton of minutes, right? And then, and then I remember seeing the article, we like Clarkson, right? We don't want to trade Clarkson. We're going to put mm-hmm. him in the starting line. I remember seeing that, but I kind of just kind of dismissed it, right? And so, you know, I was like, man, you know, like what a dummy I am, right? Because 
if I would have, not only would my projections for Sexton, right, been much better, right? I could have had some sort of edge there, but then also Conley and Clarkson were going super late in drafts, right? I mean, Conley put up like eight dimes in every game or something like that, right? So, yeah. you know, like, yeah, and you could have got them super cheap. And so, like, that's the type of edge, like, fuck, you know, like, you know, and then, so I guess the point of all this is like, yeah, like, um, I always have to keep an open mind, whether it be information, if something happens or it doesn't happen, or even in drafts, right? If you're drafting, right, if some player falls, right, you, like, or, or you know, whatever, like, you just always have to be like water, like Bruce Lee, right? Just kind of go with the flow and you have to be receptive to everything, but not just be receptive to it, but you actually have to, like, take it in and then act upon it, right? And so I feel like that's, I mean, that was huge on my part for not doing that, but hopefully I can learn from that mistake and apply it going forward. And then, you know, hopefully everyone else can too. So I don't know. That was just a thought I was just walking. Yeah, I mean, um, from I the NSA to Wayne Conley, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, my no, mind is all over the place. <laughs> I'm I, all over the place. I want to talk about the, the jazz uh, because I think that, I think that you're, you know, what you're saying about like reacting to the early news is, is useful. But I also think that the, you know, we were talking a lot about like the small sample uh, that, we're, that we have to deal with. And, you know, like the, I still don't think the Jazz are going to try to win a lot of basketball games. You know, like Clarkson has played well, Conley has played well. I would still be surprised if both of those guys were on the roster at the end of the year. Um, I agree. I agree. I think they're building them up to trade them. Yeah. I, yeah, and so, you know, I in this writers' league, I traded Jamal Murray for Colin Sexton, in that same thinking that like, well, yeah. it's just a matter of time before the other shoe drops and Colin gets his time. But you know, we're we're talking about like, there is information that you can react to. Sexton played 15 minutes last night, and it's, oh, not, yeah. the, it's, not, it's not the first time he's played so few. And yeah. so what do you uh, – I'm going to ask my competition in this league to tell me what should I do about Colin Sexton. But, like, I feel I'm – I'm of the opinion that if you can stomach it and hold him long term, that there will be a payoff that comes down the road. But I don't think it's going to be immediate because I think that those guys – those veterans in front of him, A, the, the Jazz are building value and doing it, and B, like, it's not in Jordan Clarkson's best interest to play badly. It's not in Mike Conley's best interest to play badly. Um, and so they're going to play hard. They, You know, the Jordan Clarkson doesn't care whether or not the Jazz get Victor Wembanyama. It's, it's, it, it's not on his, uh, right. his to-do list to make sure that the, his team loses games. So, so what do you do if you're holding a guy like um, like Sexton, or if you're in a deeper league and you've got some of these other guards, your your THTs, your Alexander Walkers, or think about who else would sort of fit to that, that bucket. But you know, what do you do? I think I think in anything in life, like you know, we can't predict the future, right? We just try to put the probabilities, you know, into our favor. Um, but more importantly. Whether you're right or wrong, the most important thing is like, you, you know, you have a plan. Like, what's your plan? What's your thinking, right? Like, for example, like 
I remember, you know, last year or actually earlier this year, you know, people got so used to the market, the stock market going straight up, you know, buying the dip, right? Market goes down and then people are like, you know, texting me, hey, is this a good time to buy? <laughs> I'm like, well, like, you know, I mean, I, I've already, I've told them my, my thesis and where I'm, you know, my, my outlook on stuff so they know where I'm coming from. But my question is like, well, what's your, why are you buying it? Like, what's your thesis for buying it, right? And then they're like, oh, I don't know, because it's down a lot. I'm like, that's not a good thesis, right? There has to be a reason, <laughs> right? Right? There has to be a reason for why you're doing it. Like, whether you're right or wrong, you know, who am I to say, right? We all have different perspectives, right? Whatever, different motivations. So, um, you know, it's process over results, right? Because nobody can predict the future, right? So with that said, like, you know, if you buy a stock and it goes down, whatever, like that's just, it happens, right? But what was your reason for doing it? If you had a good enough reason for it, that, that that's fine. And then after that, you know, and, and to me, the, the biggest thing that I see mistake in, you know, not just trading, but like, especially fantasy too, is like, like what's your, people don't think about worst case scenarios enough, right? They only think of the optimistic viewpoint, right? But you know, like it took me many, many hard earned American dollars and much time to figure out, you know, you know, when shit hits the fan, what am I doing? Like, and then, and then I had to start thinking about, I don't care about best case scenario. I need to know about what's my worst case scenario, because if I don't have any money, then I, I don't have a seat to trade anymore. Right. So what's more important, right? Yeah, I want to make a lot of money, but that comes, right? The most important thing is survival first, right? And so, you know, try to limit losses and, you know, opportunity costs, all that stuff. So, you know, so for me, every time I put on a trade, I would know exactly what my downside is and then and then I act upon it. But I think it's applicable to fantasy too, right? Because people are always think of the upside. But what if that guy doesn't get the expected, whatever, 28 minutes? Or what if that trade doesn't happen, right? And then, so what are you going to do? Right. And then, and then you have to think, what's the, the duration that I'm going to give for this scenario to play out. Right. So like for your section, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm with you on that thinking, right? Like I do think that they're going to get traded too, but I think what you have to kind of figure out is like, okay, this is my thesis. This is why I'm going to hold him. How long am I going to hold him for? At what yeah. point do I have to be like, this is some cost fallacy, right? And then, and then what is my course of action then, right? And then I think the final step in everything is just like emotional, I, I, I don't know, I don't know the word, I guess emotional clarity. And like, I don't know, a lot of times, like when it comes down to me, like a, any type of decision, like if it's pretty close or whatnot, it comes down to if, if I do X and you know, why happens, what's my emotional response? Like, am I in a, in a good enough place to where like, so, okay. So for example, in the Colin Sexton scenario, like if I was you, I'd be like, kind of like, okay, if I keep Sexton and I drop him and he blows up, how would I feel about that? Right. Depending upon like how my, my plan worked out, whatever. Like if, you know, I had my plan, I mapped it out, I did it like, and so for me, if I'm like, if I mapped out everything and I had my plan and then, you know, it just didn't work out. Like if that's how I would view it, then to me, I'm good. I'm good with that decision because that means that 
I put enough thought into it, right? And, you know, I mapped out everything to the point where I'm like, okay, then it's, it's about the process. It's not about what actually happens. And then I just feel comfortable in my decision. But if I'm like, if I start getting tilted just thinking about it, then, then my plan is shit, right? Then I have to go back and think about it more, right? Right? And I have to keep thinking about it and keep digging into it until I get to the place where I have emotional, I guess, balance. Right. So I, so, so I guess for me, yeah, it comes down to that, right? Ultimately, if I dig into something enough to the point where, you know, the result actually doesn't matter. It's more about the process. Like I, my process gets to the point where I don't care what happens after that. Then I know that I've done everything that I can to kind of break it down. Mm. I've taken in all the information and I've sorted it all out, like the pros and the cons. And then I'm like, okay, that's it. I, you know, I've reached that point and then, right, then it gets there. So I guess, sorry for rambling, but yeah, that's, I guess that's the process. That's my process, right? And so I don't know. I don't know if that helps you out. Hopefully it helps you out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm holding, I think I'm holding Colin Sexton for another week. Uh, what's, what's your time frame on this though? So, you know, I, I'm trying to, I think another week at minimum, uh, um, mostly because, you know, the upside, the, the thinking behind acquiring Colin Sexton, particularly for uh, Jamal Murray, was I was concerned that Murray would not be available. And that is something that is sort of bearing some fruit here is that the Nuggets are definitely taking a more cautious approach with them, as they should. Um, the other th- thought was that Sexton would score more than Murray, um, which, you know, has not exactly been, I'm trying to pull it up now, um, it has not exactly been true, um, but it's not like uh, Jamal is out here scoring 20 points a game. He's scoring 12 points a game, too. So, you know, if I'm looking at it as, you know, was this, has this deal done what I wanted it to do, for the most part, I feel okay about it. Um, and I'm also thinking about like if the acquisition of, of Colin Sexton was an attempt to shore up points, are there points available on the wire? Um, okay. you know, if I could replace him with someone, who would it be? And that is really the, the only thing that's intriguing to me at this point is I feel like there might be one player here that could be useful to replicate it, although I do not think that he has as much long-term upside as Sexton does. Um, then I guess the, the last component that is um, that is factoring into this is uh, I did not. This team did not perform well in the first week. We got beat three to six, um, but I I have Lamelo Ball on this team who has not played yet. Um, and getting a second round, getting a second round or first round value back into the lineup will probably help with some of these problems that I'm facing. Yeah, sure. And so I'm I'm reluctant to sort of pull the pull the plug on Sexton just yet, mostly because I think his scoring upside um, is more attractive than what is available on the wire, um, and because just like there things have not gone well for this group just yet. That's a team that also has Keegan Murray on it who tested positive to miss the first game of the season. 
Yeah. And like Mike Brown is not starting him. He's still continuing to start Casey Arcalo. It's just yeah. He's a dummy. The Kings are still the Kings. Um, Cam Johnson is on this team, and he has been banged up, and it sounds like it's going to stay limited. Um, you know, I can see this. This team is not has taken a step backwards uh, here in the first week, but I, I don't think that this is a team that is sort of fundamentally broken in the way that sort of making a. I would think that making a move off of Sexton now would be a, a panic move and reacting to one week's worth of data rather than do I think that this guy could be a useful scorer, which is a thing that this team will need. Uh, no doubt. As, as long as you have a plan. You know, that's, uh, you know, th- the thought process is good, right? And I agree. Like, I mean, we've only played three, four games, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any any reason to do anything rash like that. Um, unless unless you see, like, a high, super high upside, long-term viable option on the wire, which, you know, yeah, you, you said you didn't, right? But... Um, I mean, you're the Laker guy. Like, it, are you taking Lonnie Walker? Because I'm not. I don't think Lonnie Walker is better than Colin Sexton. You know, actually, I probably would. Oh, yeah. maybe I gotta make a move. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, but I don't know. That's it, it's gross, though. It it really is gross, and you know, and, and this, you know, th- that's why it comes down to, um, I guess you know, you're thinking on everything, right? Because for me. And, you know, obviously there's some, you know, emotional baggage there too, right? Because you traded away a player for him, right? So, sure. you know, yeah, and you drafted it. And you had certain preconceived biases going into into the season with Sexton, right? So uh, all that stuff has to be factored in. You know, it's all part of the calculus, right? For me, just when I'm looking at it, it's like, you know, Lonnie's playing over 30 minutes a game, <laughs> you know, and, wow. and it's on a team that is playing super fast, um, you know, and you're playing alongside AD and LeBron, so you're gonna get some pretty good opportunities, right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, well, but Lonnie's, but Lonnie's growth though, you know, and he hasn't been the most consistent player. Um, no, know, he you know, hasn't. So, you know, like we're saying with the, the Lakers situation is, it's gonna be a bit fluid. I think things are gonna be moving there. Um, although the, he does what they need, maybe all right, maybe. Like, Hold this, hold this pod until after this waiver claim. See if I can have Lonnie Walker here. Uh, I don't know. Let's see. Can you drop anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, w- it would not be for, it wouldn't be for, um, for Sexton at this point. Um, this team is full of underperformers. Yeah, I, I can make some moves here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and, you know, it kind of ties into what we were saying earlier, right? As, um. Player performance, I don't put too much credence on it, right? And, you know, I mean, guys are going to start cold, guys are going to start hot. You know, it's just, you know, for me, it's more important just the role and, you know, the playing time, right? And I think those are more, granted, like, there's a lot of things that could change. Like like you said, the uh, Casey Apala, you know, Keegan Murray, which is stupid, right? And, you know, Steven Silas, you know, bringing Eason off the bench and not giving him 20 minutes, you know, I don't know. I, I could, like, that's a, yeah, I could see that situation changing big time, mm-hmm. right? Sangoon, possibly, but that one's a little bit more iffy, I think. But, you know, other, you know, other types of situations, um, I don't know, I think, yeah, I mean, as gross as it sounds, I mean, I, I kind of do like Lottie, even though there's going to be some gross, there's going to be some gross lines just because, um, you know, like I said, you know, they play fast and, 
he's going to have opportunities and, you know, Ham seems to like his energy and, and defense. So, um, I just, I, I don't know, but you know, who knows next week, Austin Reeves, you know, could overtake him. I don't know. It's possible. Right. So, that we're banking on a bounce back for Russell Westbrook that, you know, the, exactly. Uh, so basically I have no credibility, right? <laughs> so you <laughs> should have listened to anything here, that I you know? say. <laughs> I, I do feel pretty confident, though, that I, I agree. Uh, you did lay out the the absolute floor scenario, and I think that's well within the range of outcomes. If he plays, though, I feel pretty confident to say that um, he's going to shoot better than 28% from the field. I'm pretty pretty confident about that, but we'll see. But, all right, I got to go somewhere. But, man, this is it's always great talking who's with you, Joel. Um, I'm kind of... It's kind of cool, actually, that we're going to be doing this on a weekly basis. Um, Agreed. Yeah, man. It was yes. fun. So that should be fine. Um, if anybody listening, if you have any suggestions or whatever questions or you want us to, like, talk about anything, put it in the comments. Um, but other than that, it's a pleasure as always, Joel. Have a good week. Good luck. And I will talk to you next week, man. Sounds good. Take care, man. Cool. Later.